All right, good morning. Glad to be with you all again today. Uh, continuing in our series in Luke, I uh, hope you've been blessed by it uh, this holiday season. Uh, kind of interesting, just, you know, the entire world, I'm going to say this probably five or six more times before the end of the year, but the world is stopping and talking about thankfulness and goodness and family and all this stuff, and we get to kind of have a little addition to the, to the holiday season. Uh, we get to celebrate those things, but we also get to celebrate the birth of Christ. And kind of spending time with Jesus and the Gospels has been a really big blessing for me. I hope it has been for you as well. Uh, maybe you were blessed last week. Maybe you thought it was just a strange last week. But to recap last week, if you weren't here, it's online forever, so you can go watch it. Um, I got some weird stuff. I put on some weird uh, e- uh, equipment. And I heard that some of you did not really understand what I was trying to talk about. And that's okay, because sometimes I don't either. Uh, but last week we talked about the necessary things in our lives that we need, that, that we think that we need, versus the unnecessary things that we walk around with, right? And I talked about how the Pharisees had a big problem with Jesus breaking the Sabbath. And then Jesus kind of kept breaking the Sabbath in front of them, seemingly on purpose, to say that you guys are preparing for the wrong thing. Right? Last week I put on a bicycle helmet and a reflector vest and some racquetball glasses showing that I was prepared for all these things that weren't actually happening in my life. I was prepared, but I wasn't really prepared. And we talked about how that's kind of how the world sees us walk around when we say we're about the gospel, we say we're about Jesus, but we're ending up preparing for all the wrong things, the things that we see are important, the things that we want to build our own gospel around. And then we kind of tied it all back into the Sabbath in the sense that the Sabbath is so necessary because it allows us to reflect on what is necessary, right? We saw the Sabbath as this necessary part of not only Jewish people's lives, but our lives too, to say, hey, God, what are you up to? And how can I notice it more? And the only way we're going to be able to notice the unnecessary parts of our lives is if we take Sabbath seriously. So that's what I was trying to say last week. Hopefully you got that. Uh, If you didn't, maybe that helps you out a little bit. But today we're going to jump straight into our text. And I want to do a little exercise with you guys, nothing physical, I promise. Uh, But this is something that I like to do sometimes when I'm reading a scripture that I'm just kind of wanting to pause and just sit with for a little bit. Okay, so indulge me a little bit this morning. So this is is what today is all about. I'm going to tell you the end of the story already. This is what the entire sermon is about today. This is what it's all going to be centered around. But we're going to read this verse eight times together out loud. And the word that is underlined, I want you to kind of enunciate. Okay, so for example, I would say, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So together, out loud, we're going to read this, and when you see the underlying word, I want you to enunciate that word for me. Okay, got it? All right, one, two, three. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. 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 And that might be repetitive and you might fall asleep to that, but I promise you, when I do this, 
and sometimes you probably heard it as well, the verse takes on a different meaning, right? When you enunciate certain things, just as your father, just as your father, these things kind of bring out different aspects. So I encourage you, if you're ever just reading along and you're kind of not really getting anything, try this out. But I really want to do this this morning because this is what it's all about. And I want to say thank God for mercy, right? Thank God for mercy. I read this these verses today, that the latter part of Luke 6, and I'm just kind of blown away by the mercy of God. If you reflect on Luke 6, the end of Luke 6, you might actually be reminded of something very, very uh, familiar to you. Okay, If you were to go to Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, and just read it straight through, Jesus is uh, doing something very, very similar to what he did on the Sermon on the Mount. This is what we refer to as the Sermon on the Plains. Very, very creative names for these sermons, right? Uh, Location-based, very location-based. But to set the scene, I want you to kind of have that in the back of your mind this morning. I want you to have mercy on the front of your mind this morning. But to set the scene, I want to see where Jesus is and what he's up to. In Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him, and healing them all. So that kind of sets the scene for what Jesus is up to. Very, very normal, right? Not uncommon for Jesus to be going from city to city, and people just are coming to him, right? And we talked about it earlier in the, in the series, that Jesus is just different, right? His teaching is bold. His teaching is authoritative. People are coming to him, bringing the sick to them, saying, please, just heal this person. Earlier in Luke, someone was literally you know, descending like Mission Impossible style from the ceiling to be healed by Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is different. The power of Jesus is different. It's tangible. It's noticeable. And he's in this place. He's doing his thing. And people can't help but come to Jesus. That magnetism, is, it, 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 you can't not notice it. Emphasizing his power, but all the while, all this is taking place. You and I might get a little big-headed here. People want to come see us, might want to be around us, but Jesus doesn't forget his calling. And this is what he does. When all these people come to him, this is what he does. Beginning in verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So like I said, Jesus gets all these people, doesn't forget his calling, and then he brings some tough teaching. Right? The four blessings and these four curses, these four woes to these people. And like I said before, this should remind you of the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's a very, very similar verbiage. But what I like about this situation here, the Sermon on the Plain, the difference that I see is that Luke and Jesus, Luke's rendering of what Jesus is saying is very caught up in the here and now, right? If you look at how he says this, blessed are you who are poor right now, right? When, when it, in Matthew 5, when it talks about there's poor in spirit, right? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's almost like Jesus is taking this like macro level of these heavenly things, these spiritual things, and saying, 
This is what we're all about. Blessed are you who suffer in these ways and hunger for the Spirit. But then Luke says, guess what? Now is important too. Jesus cares for your suffering, not only for, for your life, but right now. He, he cares about your pain and your suffering right now. He cares that you're hungry right now. And what's so interesting also about this is that he implies that this whole idea of being disconnected from God and forgetting what God is speaking to us is kind of somehow in our DNA, right? Look in verse 22. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how your ancestors treated the prophets. A very hard teaching again. Not only is he emphasizing the pain and the experience of the people today, but he's saying, guess what? Generationally, you guys have done a really good job not listening to God. That is who you are. That's what you've been about, but I've come to make a new way. I've come for you to have a new pathway. And again, he goes into these woes and these curses, right? He talks about the people who are living large today, right? Woe to you who are rich and already have received your comfort. You're fine. Your kingdom's looking pretty good right now. But woe to you. And remember what I've said many times before. Woe is not like a woe. Like, oh my goodness, that's, that's scary. It's like, no, woe is, that's a bad, bad thing, right? Woe to you who are well-fed now because your kingdom looks really good right now, but eventually it's not going to look so good, right? Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. And I want to be very clear that Jesus is not saying you can't have any joy in life. He's not saying if you're laughing right now, guess what? You'll never go to heaven. That's not what he's talking about, right? What he's saying is that these people who are building up their kingdoms today on themselves are going to fall short in the future. Does that make sense? That is the woe they're talking about. They have it all at this time. They're already living in their own personal, private kingdoms. And then Jesus makes it a little bit weirder. Beginning in verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks of you, and if anyone takes, without, takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And the reason why I say this is weird is because Jesus talked about these four blessings and these four curses, these four blessings and these four woes. But it sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, all those people who are being blessed, you have to bless those people that I'm kind of giving the woes to. That's unfortunate for us. <laughs> I, I just want to be blessed by Jesus. That's all. I, I, why, why is that my responsibility, Jesus? Because you're talking about these people who are building up their own kingdoms, right? These woes that the people that are fed right now, they're going to be hungry later. And those who laugh now, they're going to mourn later. Why is it my responsibility, Jesus, to take care of them? You just said that their time is going to come, right? Why is it my responsibility to turn my cheek when someone slaps me? Why is it my responsibility, if I'm truly blessed, if you're saying I'm blessed, then why do I have to do this? I think it's a valid question. Why is that my responsibility? Why does he expect that from the people who's saying that you are suffering right now? Your pain is suffering and your, your pain and suffering is real right now, but guess what? You need to suffer a little bit more at the hands of the people who aren't really suffering. I don't like that. But then I get to this. We just read it out loud eight times together. I hope it's burned into your brain. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I don't like that. 
If you were to read the Sermon on the Mount, it's very similar. He says, be perfect as your Father is perfect. There's this kind of ethereal, spiritual nature. Because I'm like, you know what? I can't attain that perfection, God, but I'm going to strive towards it. But this is a little bit too here and now. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. That means that all these blessings and woes, these blessings that you give me, part of that is that I have to go bless those who are not really part of that right now. I have to be merciful to them because that's how my Father treats me. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. This is a tough word for us. I don't know if you ever grew up playing the game Mercy uh, with your friends. Uh, This is a lunch line favorite in elementary school. Uh, You would strike a friend of yours, and you would keep hitting them until they said mercy, right? Uh, We would do this, uh, I don't know what you guys call them, rat burns or rope burns on your wrists. You got it. I'm going to keep doing it until you say mercy, right? We don't like to say mercy because we don't want to tap out and say, mercy, I'm being hurt right now, right? We don't want to admit or experiencing something difficult, especially if it's like with a brother or a sibling, you definitely don't want to say mercy to that. In fact, I was at Harding one time, and there was this wrestling going on, because that's what boys do, I guess. And a dude literally passed out in the middle of the dorm room because he did not want to tap out and say mercy. Interesting decisions that men make. Uh, Not just men, but uh, interesting decisions that we tend to make when it comes to saying, I quit, or I need mercy. I think about that being difficult for us. But when I also think about mercy, I think about these guys. Right? John Kreese and his cronies. Johnny Lawrence. Right? If you've ever seen Karate Kid, the dojo Cobra Kai, this is their motto. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. And if you watch the final scene, that's what's going on right here, uh, Sensei Kreese is telling Johnny Lawrence to basically hit Danielson in the most vulnerable parts of his body where he's already been injured, right? Sweep the leg, Johnny. This is a great scene. I, I, just go home and watch it. It's, it's fantastic. It'll get you pumped up. But what's so interesting is that these are the bad guys, right? Well, actually, we could, we could get into that if you wanted to. I don't know if they're really the bad guys, but anyway. Um, these are supposed to be the bad guys in the movie, And they live this motto, and every one of us would say, I would never, ever live by this motto. No mercy, that's so mean. I wouldn't ever want to sweep the leg of someone who's vulnerable. I would never want to hurt somebody who's already down. But the fact of the matter is, just as it's difficult for us sometimes accept mercy in those wrestling games, we don't want to say that we quit. We sometimes don't want to give mercy to people in our lives. Now, none of us would say that this is us. None of us is going to say, well, I'm Johnny Lawrence or I'm Sensei Kreese. Those are the bad guys. But the fact of the matter is that as much as we don't necessarily identify with this image, a lot of us do this unknowingly. A lot of us are very, very slow to give mercy to those people in our lives that we deem don't deserve to have mercy. Look what Jesus says here in verse 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Right? We talk about not being judgmental. We talked about how the world comes 
often sees us this way, right? We're the hypocrites of the world, where we carry around the gospel of Jesus, yet act contrary to what the gospel of Jesus lets us to do. But all that comes to this idea of mercy, right? When we don't want to give mercy to other people, we're able to see the imperfections in their lives and not see the imperfections in our own lives. We're not willing to give mercy to the person that we think is less than us, because we think we're somehow better when the reality is we've got a plank of wood sticking in the and people are having to duck out of the way because that plank is so large in our lives. We don't want to give mercy because we somehow see ourselves above other people. Their sin is more obvious, so therefore I am in a better place. They're in need of something that I would never need. We don't want to give mercy, just like our ancestors, right, that Jesus was talking about. Our ancestors are very good at not listening to God, at denying the prophets. Just like our ancestors, we want to deny others the opportunity to experience the mercy of Jesus Christ. And again, we don't want to see ourselves as the bad guys. We are not Cobra Kai. That does not exist in this dojo, right? There's no mercy thing. We would never, never say that out loud, but how do our actions actually inform our reality? We get these questions, why should I love my enemy? Why should I forgive? Those questions buzz around us, and instead of this verse being very, very clear and straightforward, be merciful just as your father is merciful, we kind of put this dot, dot, dot parentheses as long as they deserve it. And then all of a sudden we become the arbiters of justice and the arbiters of mercy, When in reality is, if we truly believed be merciful just as your Father is merciful, we would be the best mercy givers in the entire planet. If we truly understood this reality, this is the reality that I see in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, you were once apart, the Gentiles, that's you and me, right? You were once apart from the, uh, uh, which is done by the uh, body of human hands. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. That sounds dark. But the fact of the matter is, everybody in this room has been in this place. Paul is saying, I was part of that too, even though he was part of the whole Pharisee and all that stuff. He was once apart from Christ, but 13 says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I just think that we have a hard time recognizing the gap sometimes. Limitations 3 says this, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Do you hear what that's saying? They're, they are new every morning. This, not just you know, the great thing of you know, sunsets and sunrises, all the beauty of nature, all that is, is a constant yes. But recognizing compassion from God comes every second of every single day, whether you're Christian or not Christian. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, as Christians, we should be more aware of that compassion that we receive every day. We should be more aware of that mercy that we receive every day when we wake up and say, God, thank you for not consuming me. 
Because I, like Isaiah we read last week, I am a man of unclean lips, amongst a generation of unclean lips. And then what happens to Isaiah is this angel puts this coal on his lips to be purified, and that purification only comes from God. And we are the people who should be the purified, who are making this message known to the world. But guess what? We still don't understand this. We still don't understand the amount of mercy that we're given We literally cannot fathom the depths of God's mercy, but we should be the ones living into it the most. And I want to be clear that when we talk about mercy and we talk about these words from Jesus, I don't think Jesus is asking us to be a doormat to the rest of the world, to just become the punching bag for the rest of the world. No, because when we see the actions of Jesus literally becoming flesh on earth, to me that means that mercy is active. Do you see what that means? That God is not kind of just letting things happen, you know, spinning the wheel and saying, whatever happens, happens. But God becomes an active participant in mercy being made known on earth. How? Through Jesus. Jesus is this active participant, changing the way we see everything, actively seeking to give mercy to everyone he encounters. Why does he perform miracles at all? Right? There's signs as to what's to come. But he does it because he wants to give mercy where he can. For people to see it in a radically different way, he is actively giving mercy. Following God's lead, we need to do the same thing, to actively give mercy to those people in our lives. But the thing is, is that he shows us what giving mercy costs. We know the end of the story, right? We know that Jesus dies. That's a sad thing, right? It's not a happy experience for God. Oh, well, the redemption happens after that. We can be happy in the morning. But that is a sad thing. But that is what mercy costs. And that is what we need. This compassion that never fails is fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what mercy costs. It's active. It's personal. It changes everything. So if mercy costs this, and if mercy is so, so important, then why does he end here with, with the, uh, the uh, building of you know, the, the VBS song, right? Alonzo read it for us this morning. About the wise man and the foolish man building their house. But I think it really ties this whole image together perfectly. We get this wise man who does this. He digs deep down, and he lays the foundation on the rock. And when the storm comes and the wind blows, guess what happens to his house? It stands firm, right? So build your house, right? The, the foolish man, he builds his house with no foundation. And when the winds come and the storm happens, what happens to his house? It's gone, right? It goes splat. It's a great song for us to teach our kids. But what I get to is why does this happen? One man heard and obeyed. And one man heard and did not obey. What's the common denominator there? They both heard. And when we come full circle to all this, what are they hearing? What's the thing? What's the foundation? What's all this thing that we're talking about? It all starts and ends with the great mercy that God gives us. If you are not building your faith and your foundation on the fact that you're given love and mercy from Jesus every single day, your house is worthless. I promise you it's worthless. If you are sticking your nose up at people and you're, you're deeming yourself more worthy than other people, your house is worthless. It is a tent in the middle of a hurricane. 
Because foundationally, if we don't recognize how much mercy we're given every single day, we can never give that kind of mercy to other people. We will never fully, truly appreciate the love and mercy of Jesus when we don't realize how far away we, we should be or how, how we could be consumed, like Lamentation says. One man heard and obeyed. One man heard and chose not to obey. And the more I, I read this over and over again, the more I realized that this isn't just a warning for people who don't know Jesus yet, and, and this, not just for, his, for the people who are coming to be you know, healed or whatever it is. It's not just for them. I'm sure they got a lot out of it. But I really think that Jesus is speaking to us. And by us, I mean his disciples. He had just called the 12 apostles right prior to the story that we're reading here. I think he's really telling them, hey, you have to get this in order to get anything else. You have to understand mercy. Be merciful. Father in heaven is merciful. You have to get that if you're going to do anything else. So if that's true, if he's speaking to his disciples, this message should really sting us a little bit. It should make us want to know mercy in a totally radical, different way. So the question is, how can we show mercy to others? Dig deep, right? I, I miss this because I, so often, because we sing the song so much, right? And I miss this part here, and it really stood out to me this week. When he talks in verse 48, they are like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. What does digging deep imply? Very hard work. Digging deep is not something that you're just going to casually do. You don't casually build a foundation for your home. You don't casually get to this bedrock or whatever you're going to tie into to build the rest of your home on. No, you have to do the work. I feel like I say that all the time, but you have to do the work. You have to dig deep and actually build on that foundation of mercy. And unfortunately, sometimes we don't realize how much mercy we receive from God until we need a whole lot from God. I know for me personally, I've told this story before, when I originally was going to go into ministry, it's because I love Jesus. But then life happens, and I realize, oh man, Jesus loves the church a whole lot more than I did. I need to have more compassion in my heart. I need to have more understanding of how much mercy I've been given. Who am I, right? God, you have done so much through me. That mercy is just something I can't comprehend. And in order for that to happen, sometimes bad stuff does happen. But the reality is we have to dig deep and realize more and more every day how much mercy we are required in our lives, in our daily lives. And the second thing is this. Keep building because storms are a certainty. Right? It's easy to hunker down for one experience to get the amount of canned food or the amount of water you need for one hurricane. But if you're going to live here for a long time, you know that you're going to need a lot more supplies, flashlights, all the different things that we need for the storms in our physical lives. But when it comes to what we're talking about this morning, this idea of understanding the concept of mercy and building our faith, we have to keep building. Sometimes that means experiencing hard things. Sometimes that means you know, realizing, I've been building very wrong for about 45 years, 50 years, whatever, however long. It's about waking up and recognizing, do I really know God's mercy in my life? And it's about having the boldness of saying sometimes, no, I don't, and relearning a lot of things so that you can keep building. If you stop building, 
you're not doing very much good for the kingdom of God. If you stop building on that bedrock of mercy and love and forgiveness and all the things that God gives us, if you stop building on that foundation, you're worthless. I'm sorry, I don't want to say, I'm not saying that you are a worthless human being, that you have no value to this, to this earth, but if you are going to live out the Great Commission to go and to do these things, if you're going to truly live it out, you have to get this right and you have to build from here and you have to keep building, keep surrendering. We see this in the life of Jesus and especially the life of the apostles, right? When Peter, where he starts out, he thinks he's ready. But it's not, it's, it's not until after Jesus comes back and says, Peter, you gotta do, you gotta do better, man. You gotta feed my sheep. You gotta do these things. And from that place, Peter grows. I want you to visualize that in your life. Where are you wrong? Where have you been, you know, afraid of going? Challenge those places and keep building. Don't be discouraged by your immaturity. Don't be discouraged by the things you don't know. You don't know until you know, right? You don't know until you know. Don't be afraid of that. Because Jesus is leaping up and down in heaven saying, finally, you get it, right? Finally, you know that you don't know. But surrender that and keep building on that foundation. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for giving us an opportunity to spend uh, time here in Luke 6. The Sermon on the Plain that really should be challenging us. Not just the non-believers that are hearing this, the non-believers that might hear this today, but really those who are supposed to really get mercy. The people who are really supposed to be the active participants in giving mercy to people in our lives. Help us to do that. Help us to do the work to dig deep and help us to keep on building because the storms are going to continue to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But the good thing is, is that we're not doing this alone. Not only are we doing it with the blessing of Jesus with us, but we are doing it with the, with the blessing of a church community around us. If you're not making or taking advantage of your church community, you're not building anymore. A solo builder can only do so much. Please allow the church to assist you. Please allow us to be there for you. If you have any needs at all, if you want to be baptized, if you want to repent, if you want to share some joy, whatever it might be, we want to invite you to come and stand and sing at this time.